Thank you. That, I mean, that's, that's what we want. We want to seek to know God, that our life was designed to be in relationship with him. And, and what I'm missing right now is gathering with the body because that is one of the ways I get to seek to know God. And, and so I'm looking forward to August 23rd to be back in community, back in fellowship uh, in, a, in, a, in, in our space but as we continue or launch into this series, we're starting at, I think, a foundational place. And, and that's the Bible. How much is human? How much is divine? And, uh, and with my kids, here's a question that I often ask my kids. That, that I, ask, I ask them, don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you see. That is just a story. And this is coming from a book, Why We Can Trust the Bible. And, and it starts with this. How, how do you know the difference? When I'm talking to my kids, how do I help them decide the difference between what's true and, and what's make-believe? I mean, when I tell them George Washington was the first president of the United States, I, I tell them that's true. I tell them to believe that. When I tell them Uncle Phil got a new job and moved our cousins to a different city, that's also true. That's, that's not just a story. But then when I say Batman chased down Joker and threw him in jail, well, that, that's just a story. When we hear that Elsa built an ice castle with her special powers of freezing thin air, again, we just go, just a story. When Lightning McQueen and his friends talk, again, we just go, buddy, that's just pretend. And I might offend a few people here, but a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it's just a story. But what if I threw a curveball and I said, imagine a, a guy named Jesus was born to a virgin 2,000 years ago. And, and he claimed to be God and he did miracles, walked on water, healed the sick. Uh, and he was crucified on a Roman cross and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and now reigns as the king of the universe. How, how's she supposed to answer that one? Um, real? <laughs> but that's what we're going to press into today. That, that we actually have a Bible. But when we say that the Bible was written by God, sometimes I feel like we're doing a disservice to the mystery and the reality of what the Bible is. See, the Bible was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, and yet it tells one common story of that guy, Jesus. And there's a mystery and profundity to the fact that God inspired human authors to write his very words. And so here's my hope. That today as we press in, we're going to see the Bible as an immense wonder we ought to sit in. That the God of the universe has given us an inspired book containing the reality about himself, his ways, and his design for our lives. That it is an immense and incomprehensible wonder that the God of the universe has given us a book that gives us a sense of who he is. So pray with me as we dive in to this tension and I think a foundation for the tensions that we're going to see for the rest of the series. God, thank you for, for speaking to us through, through 
all these different human authors that you work through to reveal yourself. So even as we pray today and wrestle with this tension, reveal yourself to us and show us your glory and the incomprehensible wonder of who you are. For your glory we pray. Amen. So I, I want to hit a few things. First, what is it? <laughs> what is the Bible? What does it mean to believe that it's inspired? And then wrestle with some practical implications of, of why maybe we don't wrestle with it as much or pursue it as much. And maybe what it might look like if we did. Because here's my fear. As soon as we talk about the Bible, you're already filled with guilt that you're not reading enough or doing enough. I want you to let that go at the very beginning of this time. That I don't want you to be overcome with guilt that somehow you ought or should be doing something and you feel this guilt, this overwhelming guilt. I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to start reading through the entire Bible over, the life, over my lifetime. And I just often fall flat. So we're going to start at the beginning and try and work through some of those practical implications of this thing that we call the Word of God that was written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period. So, so first, what is it that we actually believe God speaks to us through this compilation of all these authors? And so just want to pull back real quickly. Old Testament, 39 books, we think written from about 1400 B.C., B.C.E., before Common Era, to about 400 before Common Era. And organized in these general categories, the Pentateuch, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And what's fascinating, uh, and you're going to want to talk to a guy named Steve Pulley. And if you don't have his number, I'm going to get it to you. Because we're not going to unpack this too much. But if you want more of this, there's a guy named Steve Pulley in our community that would love to answer more questions. He doesn't know I'm calling him out right now. But, but there was a guy named Jerome in about the 4th century. And the Hebrew Bible organized by Jews, had a slightly different organization than the 39 books we hold in our hands today. Slightly different organization. And that's because a guy named Jerome came along and, uh, and saw different themes than those Jewish um, organizers of the Old Testament and created the Latin Vulgate out of a commission of a council, created the Latin Vulgate, organized those books differently. And that's how we have them organized today. Uh, but there's some great intentionality in the way the Jews organized the Old Testament. And then New Testament, 27 books that comprise the New Testament. And that's written uh, primarily in that first century, 45 A.D., the common era, to about 95 A.D., the com in the common era. And we see some predominant categories. We see four Gospels telling about the life of Jesus by those eyewitnesses. Four different guys coming from four different lenses and spheres. And they're writing about Jesus' story. Then we see the history of the church. And then we just finished one of the letters from Paul. And then we get to end with Revelation, some apocalyptic literature. And, uh, and so we believe that these are given to us by God, though written by all these different authors. And we would use the words inspired. And so when we say the Bible is the inspired word of God, what do we mean by that? Because here's where a lot of people could go sideways in how they interpret that language. So, so here's, here's a starting place for us. When we use the word inspiration, 
It's this supernatural process whereby the Spirit of God so guided these biblical authors, dudes like Paul, dudes like Peter, to write the very words of God while retaining each style of that human author. That they wrote in a way that maintained their their individual personalities. And so why is this so important? We see a few texts in scripture that help affirm that reality, that this is more than just a book. That God was actually working through these authors to write his words. Here's what Peter tells us. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. But here's the challenge. Like where we started, what do you do when you ask that question, how do I believe every story? Because there's some wild stuff written in this book. And so... There's different views on what it means that God inspired this. And so here's the four for me. There's a guy named Carl Barth. And I hope this doesn't feel heady. It probably is. Feels like we're getting into the weeds. But this stuff is important because I think it actually speaks to people's understanding of what they mean when they open these pages. And there's a, it's it's called a neo-Orthodox view where, where it's inspired but it's inspired to the degree that as I read these words, it's emphasizing, yes, there is a transcendent God, but it's not these words that are inspired, but more as I read them, God is actually speaking into my life. I could read Dickens. I could read like Cosmopolitan Magazine. It's less about these words for the neo-Orthodox position that they're inspired, but more that there's a transcendent God speaking through words. These just happen to be some words. We move further on an inspiration view, and it's limited inspiration. Where now you move to saying these words were actually written by some good, good guys, but it's primarily man's work. Human authors, primarily human authors with limited help from God. So that's where it gets scary to me because then I ask the question, which words? How do I know which words of the limited words that were? Which words were the ones that were inspired by God? We keep going down the process and I'll go dictation. Dictation would say maybe a little bit further That God audibly spoke, and we do see that in some texts where thus says the Lord, but dictation says God audibly spoke, and these guys were like secretaries frantically writing down and taking dictation from God's words. Here's here's the position that 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 we take around here, and it's that verbal plenary. And, And don't get overwhelmed by these words. Plenary just means complete or full, and verbal (laughs) just means uh, the very words of Scripture, right? So verbal plenary, that we actually believe 
that God in a profound way actually gave his very words for Peter to write down. That we actually believe God gave Paul his very words to write down. That this is how, this is this graphic, you've seen this before, but that God actually wrote a book and he inspired these very words in those original manuscripts that John and Peter wrote down and that that can coexist That God spoke through these authors and wrote these very words. And so when we read them, here's our conviction. We actually believe we're reading the very words of God. And we call that process illumination. Now here's the challenge for me. We go a step further, right? Inerrancy. We say the very words. And this could just feel like seminary class right now. But I hope we're laying the groundwork for the practical implication of what comes from this conviction. Because if we believe these are the very words of God, here's here's the essence of what it means to believe these are the very words of God. That these biblical authors were inspired. They were kept from error in recording facts and ideas as well as in their very own choice of words. Therefore, all the original writings, those original manuscripts, are the very words of God. They're without mistake. This is verbal inspiration. And here's where it gets real. If someone ever came to me and shared with me, David, here's an error in the Bible. An error to the very words of God, right? There's copy errors. We can talk about that. There's manuscripts upon manuscripts upon manuscripts that have been translated over centuries, But in those original manuscripts, we're saying those are the very words of God. If someone showed me an error and we couldn't figure it out, this could scare you, not intended to. But I'm actually banking my life and banking my faith that this is the inspired word of God. And if it's not and someone shows me an error, that I'd leave this thing. That we're actually banking our life, believing that a divine being spoke through people and wrote these very words. And up until this point, it doesn't appear that's happened, at least in my life. And if it's happened for you, I'd actually love to have a conversation. But under that conviction, here's my hope. We're going to look at a few practical implications of what it means to actually believe that. Because here's what you might be feeling. David, I just should read the Bible more. But I don't. Why don't we read the Bible more often? I'm guessing many of us, after I explain all of that, you go, David, I've heard that. I believe that. So the question remains, why don't we read this more often? Here's a few suggestions that come to my mind. Stinking takes effort. I've been promised that the best life is actually the life of ease. I've been told the best life is one where I just to kick my feet up by the lakeshore and just do nothing. That's what I've been told is the best life. Why we don't want to read the Bible? It's work. It takes effort. It's, it's exhausting to try and work through the ideas. I hate reading. I am a horrible reader. Here's the challenge. Of all the ways God chose to reveal himself, primarily, he wrote a book. But it takes effort. Second, it feels impossible. 
David, sometimes I do do the work. And then I come on Sunday and you say something different and I just feel completely defeated. It feels impossible and it feels like it's for the professionals. David, that's why we pay you and Fred. We don't often read the Bible maybe because it takes effort and it just feels impossible. I just feel defeated and overwhelmed and I don't feel like I can understand it. And so I just feel like I leave it to the professionals. Third or fourth, some of us, when we read it, might just feel like this is boring. We read these words and it just doesn't captivate us. That we read these words and it just falls flat. David, I believe it's the very words of God written on paper. It's just boring. Here's the challenge for me and why I love Hillcrest Bible Church and where I can't wait to continue to see where God's going to take us into the future. You know, it doesn't feel like we've actually had someone take an interest in our life and teach us and model for us how thrilling this could be. I mean, I remember in seminary, sitting under professors, brilliant, brilliant people, they just didn't seem all that excited about reading the Bible. They could tell me about it. They just didn't seem all that excited when actually sharing about it. They knew it backwards and forwards, run circles around me. They just didn't seem that excited about it. And I remember sitting in a living room of a guy named Wally Norling. You guys have heard me say his name before. Sitting on an oxygen tank. And I'd sit and I'd have date bars and orange juice. Sweet Betty, his wife, would come in. And Wally and I would just sit and pour over Ephesians. And Wally would ask me about my life and ask me about the text. And you could feel the excitement exuding out of this guy as he was on his deathbed. He always felt like he had more to learn. It just feels like we don't read the Bible because we've never been taught or modeled just the joy that could be found. And here, I think this is a real one. We're just not convinced it's going to make our lives any better. David, I got a good life. I mean, what's reading going to do for my life? I could sit and listen to you for 30 minutes talk about something. What difference is that going to make in my life? So here's, here's my hope. We're going to talk about, I, I think, two practical categories of what I hope would move us in this direction. One, how we ought to think about the Bible. That theoretically we believe everything I said for that first part, that this is the very words of God written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. Here's my conviction. God actually intends this to be read by everyone. This isn't just for the professionals. And if you've been in an environment where it feels like it has been, I'm sorry. I think God actually intends his words through Paul, through Peter, to be read by everyone. And it's made up of paragraphs, sentences, words, letters, and understanding the words of human authors reveal to us the words and ideas God wants us to know. How we ought to think about the Bible? That it's not just God said Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, but actually 
Maybe a more accurate way to say it would be Matthew the tax collector. Hated among his Jewish peers. Hung with Jesus for three years and observed and walked with this man. And saw him go to the cross. That it's more than just the Bible says and God says. But actually seeing it through the eyes of Paul and Peter and Mark. And how God was working through them. That it's actually made up of paragraphs, sentences, letters. And if we actually see these words, we're more than just reading words on a page. We're actually engaging the very mind of God. You've heard me use this illustration. That if I ask someone, hey, (laughs) do you know your wife or your spouse loves you? You know your dad or your mom loves you? And the answer is usually yes. How much more, though, if you actually heard from that person, I love you? I think in understanding the paragraph, sentence, and words, we're actually hearing from the God of the universe, I love you. And God's word isn't meant to just be this ambi- just, just fog of confusion. We're actually intended to understand these words and live them out. And, and here's a hard one for some. Because it means surrendering my will. Paul urged us in 2 Corinthians to be reconciled to God. Because God's word is authoritative for our life. These aren't just helpful suggestions. But when Paul says Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility in himself. And reconciled Jew and Greek. We ought to take that seriously and live that out. Because it's authoritative for our lives. And this isn't just an add-on to our journey with Jesus. It's actually an essential ingredient to what it means to walk with him. And here's also our conviction. If this is all I had, it's enough. That these words are enough for the best life. So, how might we live with this view of the text Let me offer a few suggestions of how this might actually change the way we live. Why actually believing these are the very words of God matters for our life. That it actually helps us appraise how our use of the Bible reflects our view of its authorship. If we actually enter in with this view, I can appraise how much I believe that. Now, you heard me say at the very beginning, don't heap yourself with guilt, condemning yourself that you're not doing it enough, but instead appraise your use of it and move forward being convinced that we want to experience God more through his word. I think reading God's word, convinced, is the best way to hear from and to know God. If we believe we were designed to be in relationship with him, we actually believe the primary way, the best way we can get to know him and hear from him and know him and experience him is actually here and read god's word with others experiencing the fun of deep life in community you know life groups are taking a a break over the summer but when we launch back in my hope is if you've never experienced the joy of wrestling through and being in the text while being in community I think there's a life-giving component of what it looks like to hear someone else as they hear from God through his word. 
when someone else hears for the first time potentially that, that their identity is in Jesus. And I think reading God's word persuaded hearing from him directly produces a confidence and faith that cannot be attained in any other way. Sometimes my insecurities, my fear starts to cloud me. Doubt creeps in. How do I fight that? How do I battle against the pervasive doubt or fear or insecurity that might try and crowd into my life? It's actually believing I can gain my confidence in this life by hearing from God and the promises of faith that are rooted here. That when God promises, David, I'm going to give you good. Where did I hear that? I heard it from Paul in Romans, inspired by God. And lastly, reading God's words, certain that it enhances the quality of our enjoying this life and the life to come. That this isn't just a chore to check off my list and have my daily devotions over a cup of coffee. This isn't just some kind of science experiment to dissect. But I actually pursue God through his word, believing that it produces enjoyment in this life, and a hope and a longing for the life to come. So I want to introduce you to Mark and Susie, and I want them to share a little bit of their story when it comes to experiencing God through his word and why it matters to them. So I love telling stories of God's faithfulness in our lives uh, and what is happening in the lives of our people. So uh, these are two people around our community. Why don't you introduce yourselves and then maybe tell us uh, a little bit of, of just your connection around here at Hillcrest. Uh, I'm Mark Drockenberg and my wife Susie. Uh, and uh, we've been attending Hillcrest uh, since last August. Mm. Um, we had some mutual friends who... Uh, attend here and uh, we thought we'd give it a try and fell in love with it after the first Sunday. Mm -hmm. So we just finished talking about, uh, about the power of hearing from God through his word and just this inspired word. So just for you guys, what, what, what's the significance of that and, and what difference has believing that made in your lives? So I like to reference uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12 which says that um, for the word of God is alive and active mm. and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in my life, that just lets me know that it's working all the time. I can depend on it. I can trust in it. I know that it's true. When I have doubts or concerns or worries, I can just know that mm. it is solid and sharp and it can cut to the heart of the matter no matter what you're working on. So, mm. Thank you, Susie. And you and I have had a few fun conversations over the past since August. Yes, we have. Which, so what, what's this mean for you, Mark? Well, um, the first thing that I do, uh, whether it's work or whether it's um, church or studying the Bible or um, pretty much anything, uh, is I... I I'm analytical, so I like mm. to dig in and find out where and why. And um, so for me, you know, it all starts with in Second Timothy where it says it's all scriptures God breathed. And, and to me, that's not that what that means is that um, God told man what to write. Mm. It, it wasn't, well, here's just an idea and you go with it. It's here's what to write. And 
from there, um, I look at Romans, and in, in Romans 1, it says that God has revealed himself to all mankind, mm-hmm. um, and that we don't have any excuse because it's revealed in, in uh, all of his creation. Mm-hmm. Then I go to John 1, and it says that um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And um, from that, then it's, okay, I want a relationship with this. If it's, in, if it's his Word, I, I'm, I believe it because of what it says. Um, so I want a relationship with, mm. with that. And, um, uh, and so then... You know, you take it the next step, and it's, uh, you know, the Jesus says we must be born again, and, and salvation is only through Him and faith alone in Him, and um, and so once I've once I've gotten to that point, it's okay. Now I've got His Word. It's a living, breathing instrument. Mm. It's Him. I want to know it, mm. and I want to study it, and I want to grow closer to Him. And so, by digging further into His Word. Um, I get a deeper relationship with him, and I fall more in love with him. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, there's nothing more important than that. Uh, and, you know, you talk about mm-hmm. everything going on in the world today with um, uh, the, the virus and uh, the economy and politics and, and uh, the stock market and mm-hmm. stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, but the Bible says I can have a peace that, surpasses all understanding Mm. and i'll tell you we've been at peace through this all Mm. so Mm. it's because of his word because it's more than just a book yep but actually a relationship with the god of the universe yep that's cool so as we go to worship now uh maybe sometimes over the past 14 weeks you've just sat and observed maybe this week maybe feel uncomfortable But if you stood in your living room and sang with us as our worship team uh, takes us into worship.